Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Luke 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Luke 3. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened. He will not grow faint or crushed, discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. From Galatians 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, 
Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you when it comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're continuing our eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. And uh, we are still on element seven, uh, the pattern, of, which is element 7P, I guess we're calling it, the pattern of the first five steps. The, uh, what we think is that if you look at the seven times in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit chose through, the, through Luke to kind of do a close-up and zoom in and look at... Um, uh, a group of people being converted to Christ in some, in some detail, you'll see that uh, the things listed in Roman numeral 2 there on your outline uh, happened uh, at the start of the Christian life in New Testament times. And we think that those should still be a pattern for your Christian life uh, due to a lot of the things that we're wrestling with in American Christianity. 
Uh, it's probably not realistic that most people would go through all five of these the first week or so that they're a Christian, as was the case in the New Testament times. But I uh, sure hope you would go through all five of these the first year you're a Christian and uh, study them accordingly and, and enter them with meaning and purpose and, and so forth. Um, the uh, uh, third step of the five steps is called Baptized in the Holy Spirit series. As you know, we have a, a 2013 or 14 version of, the, of, the, of a series called Baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was perfect, purposely brief. It's four chapters. And it's something that we, most of you have been through one-on-one with somebody on the leadership team of our church. Generally, we do that before people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, that tends to be a very uh, powerful, grace-producing experience in the Christian life, especially if you go on from there to learn how to be filled, refilled, uh, stay filled, and led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit as a way of life. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible, and it can only be led, it can only be done by the power of God's Holy Spirit. It cannot be done by just an effort that originates with us. Now there's effort, but that effort has to originate and be motivated by God, by the power of His Spirit. So uh, that's uh, grace empowers us uh, to become disciples and to want to know and love the Lord. Now, in the Roman numeral three, what we're dealing with right now is the last part of the uh, longer series we're now doing on being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the 29th lesson in that one. And this uh, particular section is the third section of it. We're calling uh, imparting or receiving Holy Spirit baptism. And that corresponds to the old series is chapter 4, and we're just taking every single point in chapter 4 of the old series and doing a whole week on, on it. So, uh, actually, uh, the, we, Roman numeral 3, the five most common categories or hindrances or obstacles to getting baptized in the Spirit. Remember that we're saying, these are when, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's part of receiving Christ is what's called regeneration. You should have new attitudes, new motivations, new desires for, that can come into your life. You're, you should sense that your, your spirit and your life has been quickened and you are not the same person. Uh, you're not, you don't have the same motives. You're not living life for the same reasons. Things that were idols of your heart before don't have the same power over you. You have a much greater desire to know God and to serve Him and to please Him. That should happen at conversion. Um, and we're going to refer to that a little bit more today. But we spent three weeks on the, on the uh, current modern phenomena that's, that's, uh, uh, just has swept Protestant Christianity uh, progressively over the last 150 years, where many, many, many Christians have uh, either false conversions, partial conversions, confused conversions, uh, or, or incomplete conversions. And so we looked at that for the last three weeks in some detail and looked at uh, what full conversion should look like. Now, we're going to actually touch on that again today because number two uh, we call the Charlie Brown sy- syndrome. 
And if you flip over to the back side of your page, you'll see note one is that the Charlie Brown syndrome is related to obstacle number one, that is incomplete, confused, partial, or false conversions. And it's limited, it's, it's related to number five as far as a hindrance to getting uh, a spirit-filled life, uh, which is, of course, uh, unbelief and doubt. We live in a culture of natural-mindedness that uh, began with the, re- the Renaissance a little bit, was incredibly strengthened by the Enlightenment, and has become kind of the cult, the milieu, which is a French word for kind of the at, uh, spiritual atmosphere, or the zeitgeist, the German word for the spirit of the age. Uh, the spirit of the age today is natural-minded unbelief. And even our understandings of Christianity and our expressions of it, we don't expect the kinds of things you read about in every page of the Bible. And it's, what's amazing to me is there are actually people who've read all the Gospels, sometimes several times, uh, the book of Acts, sometimes several times, and have no expectation that Christianity involves radical changes at conversion, that it ex- uh, involves getting set free from addictions, fears, uh, hurts, sorrows, that it involves deliverance from evil spirits, that it involves healings, that it involves these kind of phenomena, which are just normal biblical Christianity. Uh, during the height of the Enlightenment, uh, the, the, uh, the philosophy of deism was rolled out by a group of people called the French Philosophes that included Voltaire and Rousseau and people like that. And it was embraced in our country by your Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson types. And Jefferson went so far as there is actually a, a book, I have a copy, uh, that's called the Jefferson Bible. And it's the parts of the New Testament he thought were valid because he was committed to an anti-supernatural worldview. So he liked some of the ethics of the Bible. He just didn't like the realities of, of the historical narrative. And we, uh, unfortunately, live in a culture where most Christianity even into the 95 percentile range, has those kind of expectations of what Christianity is. Uh, And the Bible goes so far in Titus chapter 3, 1 through 5, to say in the last time, difficult times will come, there will be this, 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 and this. Then it goes on, at the end of the list, it says, uh, men who hold to a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, and avoid such people as these. Wow, if we ever lived that, uh, we'd have to stop hanging around ourselves. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, this natural-minded culture of Christianity is a, uh, is a Western phenomena. Now, many of you probably know that Christianity is exploding in many parts of the world, Central America, South America, Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, and so forth. Uh, there are parts of the world where it's not exploding, mostly Western Europe, uh, Japan, uh, even um, it's growing, but not, ex- I wouldn't say exploding in Taiwan. But uh, in, in communist China, I would say it's exploding. Uh, they say 30,000 people a day are coming to Christ in communist China. And uh, there are churches that were down to 50 members or less at the height of the communist revolution that now have memberships in the hundreds of thousands. 
and have planted 15, 20, 30, 40 churches. So um, that kind of Christianity, however, is mostly Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. It's mostly Christianity with large expectations of the power of the Spirit. And we don't come to church expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. We don't come to prayer meetings expecting someone to be healed or delivered. Or people to say, well, I was blind, but now I see. And uh, it was a complete and radical change of motivations, attitudes, direction, where I'm going. But biblical Christianity has those kind of supernatural phenomena that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. As Paul said, you know, he planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. One of the things I love about the type of ministry we do, because God brings us a lot of very troubled and damaged people, such were most of us, including myself, as you know. And, uh, you know, the joy of watching as you work with someone and you realize this person has a lot of problems. They had no father in their life or, or you know, whatever. The, there's all sorts of problems these days. And addictions, fears, uh, emotional wounds. Uh, uh, fathers who were maybe not that bad a guy but emotionally unavailable. All, just tons of problems. And, um, you know, one of the joys of it all is when you're working with someone that you just start with like, wow, if this person gets set free and becomes healthy and whole and, uh, and becomes a normal, healthy, spiritually mature person, this is beyond what anybody could do. And then time after time after time after time, we've been allowed to see God do it. And... Uh, it's amazing. It's so, it's, it's so wonderful when you're in a situation where you realize, like, Lord, this is totally beyond my pay grade. I wouldn't even know where to begin to help this person except to begin to sow according to the things you've taught us how to do. And, and then just to watch as God unfolds it, it's just, it's just phenomenal. So uh, today, again, we want to get into this thing that I call the Charlie Brown Syndrome, it's probably one of the few, uh, you know, I do name some biblical uh, principles after uh, pop culture, th things like songs, movies, and so forth to make them easier to, to remember. And uh, I do want to, again, emphasize this not only applies to getting baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, originally, in fact, it often applies to whether a person wants to get prayed for to get baptized in the Spirit, as I'm about to share when I share my own testimony is the first part of this. And um, um, it also applies whether, again, the Holy Spirit comes into your life before you're baptized in the Spirit if you're a truly converted Christian. And you are regenerated by the Spirit of Christ coming inside of you. As Paul says in Romans 8, if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they, they are not his. And uh, the, you definitely have the Holy Spirit quicken you when you pray the sinner's prayer, when become a Christian, become a disciple, whatever, if that really happened. 
Now, we have reached a place where almost all organizations that keep polls like this, from the Pilgrim Organization to Campus Crusade for Christ to the Assemblies of God Church, uh, have come to a point where they say less than 5% of people who pray a sinner's prayer at a church service or a Christian concert or some sort of outreach venue ever go on to show any evidence of having become a Christian as measured by starting to read the Bible, starting to make lifestyle changes, uh, making fellowship with other Christians a, a priority and way of life, and the other kinds of things that would be indicators that newness of life has happened. Less than 1 in 20 uh, show, show the evidences of true conversion. What we taught on a couple weeks ago is the vital signs of life. But for those who are experiencing the vital signs of life, uh, one of the things you'll, you'll see is that to maintain, and, and uh, we all leak, and we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in many, many times. Uh, the disciples were clearly already filled with the Holy Spirit when Jesus told them to wait in, in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. They, that, the evidence of that is that they were followers of Christ. And they had been sent out to cast out demons, heal the sick, and proclaim the kingdom. And their lives had been radically changed. They had left, you know, when Jesus called them, uh, one of the things the, the uh, Gospels uh, show very clearly is one of the things that doesn't happen today is people don't leave their old lives behind. And one of the things that clearly happened in Luke 5 to all five cases that it gives us which includes Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Levi, is they all left their former businesses and they changed their family relationships. You know, John, the Apostle John, most theologians think, was 14 years old when he left his father's boat and his father's uh, business and went off with this itinerant missionary rabbi called Jesus. And his brother was probably around 17 or 18. So, um, rolling up my sleeves are a little too long. So, uh, really the sleeves aren't too long, my arms are just too short. <laughs> so, um, you know, then, you know, in the Gospel of John, he focuses on Philip and Nathaniel and others that, that uh, the other Gospels don't give us, but it, what is clear is they all left some things for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother is not just about marriage. It's about going forward with God. To cleave to Christ, you have to cut some other things off, including relationships that hold you back. Now, um, in Acts chapter 2, the 120 believers uh, who are clearly already filled with the Spirit get filled with the Spirit. And uh, they all begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives them ability to speak. A crowd comes running. Peter proclaims uh, a very interesting message that, that demonstrates that Jesus is both the Lord and, uh, and Christ. And they are cut to the heart when he basically says, 
you've been waiting your whole life for, for Emmanuel, the Lord God, to, uh, among us, and you've been waiting your whole life for Messiah, and he was right in your midst, and you cried out, crucify, crucify him, and, and, you, and the leaders of the Sanhedrin crucified him. And so when they realize this, they're cut to the heart. They say, what must we do? Peter tells them, repent, be water baptized, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, uh, which all the promises of God culminate in a phrase called being baptized in the Holy Spirit, used seven times in the New Testament, and Acts 1, 4, and 5 make it very clear that those two things are exactly the same thing. Uh, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and getting and receiving the promise of the Father will give you a prayer language and set you into a whole new walk with God that includes spiritual gifts as a regular part of life. And uh, when they when they do this, uh, three thousand people get involved. But later, uh, two chapters later, I'm not sure chronologically how many years. I've read articles about it. There's some you know that's not. Crystal clear how many years this is. But uh, Peter and John are under arrest, and they're told not to uh, spread the name of Jesus around Jerusalem anymore, and especially the message that you guys murdered him, which was the major message of the apostles in Jerusalem. You guys are murderers, (laughs) and you murdered the Messiah you were waiting for. That's what they say over and over again, and we have seen him risen from the dead. That's the essential part of their message in the book of Acts. You murdered him, you betrayed him, uh, he's who you were looking for, and now you need to repent. Because he's risen from the dead, and God has furnished proof in the resurrection that he was the Lord and the Christ. So, uh, at the end of Acts 4, after they're threatened, they go back to John Mark's mother's house. Uh, they have this giant prayer meeting where they say, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your uh, disciples can share the word with boldness and so forth. And guess what it says? The room was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word more boldly. Now, what's very important to understand is mo- the vast majority of people in that room were the ones baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which shows that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit many, many times. Because you leak. I hope we've all had the phenomena of ex- ex- in our prayer closets, in a worship session, uh, at a conference or whatever, where we come home filled with the joy and the life and the zeal and the vitality of the Lord. And most of us, uh, not so much after one week, two weeks, three weeks, or whatever. And we need to be filled and refilled. Right? So, with that in mind, let's talk about one of the hindrances to that, which I have named just to make it easier to, uh, easier to remember, the Charlie Brown Syndrome. All right. So I'm halfway down the second page already because John Gray read all the scriptures listed in that kind of top quarter of the page or top half of the page, I should say, uh, second quarter of the page. So uh, a lot of you uh, know the old Charlie Brown, uh, what was it, the, uh, the Halloween special where uh, 
where Charlie Brown goes trick-or-treating, and, uh, you know, Lucy and Linus and all those go, I got good and plenties, and I got almond bar, almond joy bar, or whatever, and, uh, I don't, and uh, you know, I got a chocolate bar and so forth, and Charlie Brown goes, I got a rock. <laughs> right? And, uh, um, of course, uh, Charles Schultz created Charlie Brown as somewhat of a parody and an exaggeration or caricature of uh, how he felt about himself as a boy and the things he struggled with. So, um, what I want to address is this fact that uh, part of our fallen nature is that before we are in Christ, we either lack self-confidence, have what psychologists would call a bad self-image, uh, we have issues with feeling inadequate, fearful, or whatever, or we have those but we don't know it because we've learned to be an extrovert and cover up for it in shallow, self-centered, strong, uh, strengths out of ourselves way. But the truth is, there's no true confidence outside of Christ. The world, is that the people you meet that seem like they got it together are just trying their best out of their own strength to hold it together. And they don't have it together. Sometimes, because the Bible says in Proverbs that the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a wounded spirit who can bear which means that most people can put up with tremendous handicaps physically. But no one can deal with a wounded spirit. And guess what? All people outside of Christ have a wounded spirit. Everyone. Because their spirit was wounded in the fall of man. It was alienated from God and it was created to be filled with him. And our hearts are ever restless, Augustine said, until they find their rest in, the, in thee. Your spirit was meant to flow with the power of his spirit and to know the joy and the peace and the strength of his resurrection. And when you're not experiencing that, your spirit is functioning badly and it's damaged. And even as a Christian... You can uh, kind of keep have various ways, uh, intimacy issues, where you have various ways of keeping Christ at a distance. Focusing on the wrong things, having idols in your life, keep, uh, you know, what's the point of trying to, you know, whatever. Now, so the Charlie Brown syndrome is basically uh, when... For those who, uh, I would say, there, I, I always say there's mountain people and there's valley people. And every mountain is going to be leveled and every valley is going to be filled. There's some people who know they're insecure and fearful and timid and hurting. And there's other people who are trying to pretend they're not. And that's all there is. Everybody is like that. That'll help you lead people to Christ, frankly. And... Um, because you call their bluff in a loving way after you build a relationship enough to, which sometimes only takes a couple minutes. <laughs> Depends on what the Lord is doing. <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, 
you know, deep down, everyone is thinking, if I ask God for this or that or whatever, I'm going to get a rock. I got a rock. Because we feel unworthy. You know why? Because we are. So, um, I'm going to start with telling my own story of this. Uh, 1974, July, I believe it was 17th, I had been, I had been five months since I, as some of you know that I was very involved in the, in the Eastern mysticism, uh, demonic, you know, spirit guide kind of side of psychedelic drugs and and I started having experiences where my spirit was leaving my body, my body was filling up with demons, and I was descending into hell on a regular basis, and I couldn't stop this. And I had decided that I was going to become a Christian. But I didn't know where to turn, but I intuitively knew, because God will show anyone who's interested in God, I knew I should read the Bible. And I knew I would find God in the answers in the Bible. And so I was reading the Bible, but I wasn't understanding the gospel yet. Now, I had a little sliver of the gospel. I knew there was a heaven and a hell, and I wanted to follow Jesus and be one, his, one of his disciples. I was still doing drugs and, and addicted to them, and still, like all addicts, bargaining with God when I was under conviction by the Holy Spirit. Addicts always bargain, you know, <laughs> you know? Maybe, you know, maybe later, you know. Anyway, you know, the, if some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, or maybe you've read about it or maybe experienced it. So um, I knew a couple slivers of the gospel, but I didn't really understand the gospel. And so I was frankly very depressed because all I knew was I thought everyone who was under 40, I didn't know I was going to be old someday, I, when you don't know that when you're 17. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, everyone I knew that, that was my age was going to hell. <laughs> and uh, didn't know God and was chasing all kind of false idols in their life, from drugs to popularity to girls to, to careers and so forth. And, you know, I used to stand in the middle of Bowling Green State University campus at age 17, on, there's a little circle with the seal of the university that's raised up a foot or two, and I would stand on top of it to get a better view, and I'd walk every, watch everyone go by, and I would just cry. And I would say, Lord, all these people are lost. And I didn't understand yet that if the church would be restored, that if the gospel would be proclaimed with people backing it up with the conviction of their lifestyle by living a radical Christian lifestyle, that that destiny could be changed. I thought everybody that's uh, a Christian is at least 40, wears a skinny brown tie, which was not cool back then, and, uh, and has this kind of haircut, which was not, definitely not cool one back then, and, uh, and uh, that heaven was going to be a real drag. That's what I thought. And, uh, but I knew what hell was about, and I was definitely not wanting to go there. And I just thought everybody was lost, and uh, this is not fair. You know, part of the doctrine of sin is, like, life should be fair. <laughs> what, 
If, if you love your kids, start with teaching them when they're two, life is not fair. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, uh, I'm going all through this, and I'm starting to read the Bible, and I meet a Christian guy, and we're talking about the Lord. He invites me to his church. Now, my parents had become Christians just before I did, but I hated my parents, so I, thought, I called them the parents. And I was like, the parents have become Jesus freaks, and they're talking in tongues and a few expletives. What the heck is wrong with them? And, uh, you know, this kind of thing. And so, but I knew a little bit about the Holy Spirit because I knew my parents spoke in tongues, and I knew they cast demons out of people in our kitchen at night, and I knew that they had prayer meetings all the time at their, our house with people lifting their hands and singing songs, and I thought they were whack. And... Uh, but I knew they were real Christians. I was just like, am I going to have to hang out with all these old people if I become a Christian? <laughs> so, because, um, you know, back then we had this generation gap idea and so forth. So, um, in any case, this guy takes me to his church, and the pastor speaks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I totally know it's from God, and I totally know I need it. But guess what? He gave an altar call. Of course, you know we don't do that by altar calls because we take people through a series of instructions. That's why we don't have the low bat. You know, nearly 100% of people we pray for get baptized in the Spirit first time we pray for them and, and sustain it for the rest of their life because we lay the groundwork of deep study beforehand. Nevertheless, uh, I didn't, you know, most people still do the altar call thing with both in the gospel and the baptism in the spirit and in other areas. In my opinion, the reason it has such shaky results is because you're not giving them enough information. If somebody wants to receive the gospel, you don't spend a three or four months teaching them the gospel. But... You know, in fact, that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 4 when he says that there's a certain kind of person who immediately receives the word with, with joy. If you can pray with them the first time they hear the presentation, either you spoke it shallow or they understood it shallow. Because they certainly didn't understand the cost of the cross in a 30-minute in a presentation. That's why I don't pray with people to receive Christ till I've shared with them for a few months usually. In any case, we do the same with the Holy Spirit in receiving the Holy Spirit in that second encounter called being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, which is clearly biblical, and we've already gone through teaching along that lines. And so um, the guy gives an altar call. Guess what? I didn't go forward. Now, I didn't go forward from what I call the Charlie Brown syndrome. A, I was too proud to go forward. And if you, as we look at condemnation and all the things we're going to look at here, one of the things you're hopefully going to clearly understand is pride, condemnation is always rooted in pride because it's rooted in a self-righteousness that says I ought to have done better in and of myself. Guess what? When you sin and you confess it, the reason there's no condemnation is because you're, if you're going to try to live out of your own initiative and your own power and your own strength, you're going to fall 
every day, all the time. And the key is not only confessing our sins, but learning to walk out of the power of his resurrection. That's the only way the Christian life can be lived. And to the degree, and that is a journey of sanctification and maturation. You should have the desire to please God and walk that way from the time you're born again or converted. But the follow through, it should be a progressive walk that will last the rest of your life on into eternity. I haven't met a completely sanctified, very mature Christian yet. I've been at this 43 years, and I know thousands of Christians, none of whom are all that awesome when you compare us to Jesus. So, that's why I always say we're a church for failures. (laughs) If you don't have a lot of problems, you're not welcome here. (laughs) There's, um, There's plenty of churches where you can act like you got it together, I'm pretty sure. So, anyway, I didn't go forward out of pride and because I just felt like I was constantly under conviction that I should quit drugs, and uh, I hadn't even slowed down yet at this point. And so I was still smoking, oh, you know, 50 to $100 worth of pot every day, and uh, 30, 40 joints every day, bongs, what, you know, whatever, doing lots of pills and different things and so forth, and telling God, I'll quit next Thursday. <laughs> After the, after the birthday party, then I'll quit. <laughs> we, we got this really good deal on this you know, opium, and it was really at a great price and so forth, so I'll quit when it's done because I wouldn't want to waste that. <laughs> you know? That's how addicts are. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to get around to obeying you someday, Jesus. And I figured, why would God help me uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, because I was just too bad. I was unworthy. So on the way home in the car, because uh, this church was a uh, oh, 20, 30-minute drive. I, we lived in Bowling Green in the dorms, and this church was in Finley, Ohio. And uh, the pastor was Moses Vey, who I became friends with later. Some of you know Ben Vey, who is his grandnephew. And uh, the... On the way home, I asked the guy that, was, you know, that had invited me, do you think God would baptize somebody like me in his Holy Spirit with all the evil I've done? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, if you truly wanted God's Spirit and you asked him for it, he would give it to you. He didn't say any more than that. That's it. That's all he said. And that night, in room 222, Anderson Hall, Bowling Green State University campus, at the age of 17, while still a drug addict, I asked God to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, and I began to worship him in an unknown tongue and was totally filled with his power and his presence. Now, some of you might not like the next. The next day, I went back to being depressed because I didn't know the gospel yet. 
And all I could think about was all these people are going to hell. And there's nothing can be done, is what I thought. I had no faith in, I didn't understand the sovereignty of God, God's power, God's choice, the, the power of restoring the church, nothing. So, but Luke 11 says, if you ask your father, and guess what? I was, in my family, every family has a black sheep of the family. There's different roles, you know, the one that gets in trouble all the time. I was that one in our family. <laughs> you know, the, the principal would come and get me out of class. Sometimes the police came and got me out of class. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so... Um, You know, so um, my poor mother was praying for me every day with every friend she could get to pray. <laughs> After I became a Christian, like 200 people came up to me in the, whenever I visited my hometown over the next few years. I've been praying for you. And I'm like, oh, that's the problem. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right, so I got to move on. Oh, boy. Didn't. There's just never enough time. I wish we could start at nine. I wish we could start at eight. <laughs> All right. So, uh, facts, faith, feeling train. Um, what I really kind of want to do, and I'm going to have to cut to the chase, is I want to help you understand that condemnation, insecurities, and all these things that people struggle with have nothing to do with how godly of a life or ungodly of a life you've lived by today's standards because today we make the morality about the leaves of the tree you know whether you stole cars or or addicted to pornography or you did it da, 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 da. we don't make it about the root of the tree and it's kind of amazing to me that the people i've helped the most with the, that have had the most insecurities and the most condemnation and the most fear of man, and the most being overwhelmed by their hurts and negative self-esteem and so forth, have usually lived the most godly lives. As far as, uh, you know, they never did drugs and never whatever. Whatever, you're, whatever you think is the list of what you shouldn't have done or whatever. It happens all the time. And um, the truth of the matter is, there is no deliverance from these things in performance base there just isn't i've dealt with people who've never done whatever i mean i could give you a list but we don't have time so some of you are aware that there's kind of a common thing in evangelical christianity called uh the facts faith feelings train and uh this morning when i was looking at stuff uh, about 6 a.m i came across an article written about that by john piper on his website called desiring god and it's a fantastic and short little article so i gave you the link to it there if you email deanna or, or uh stephen they can send it to you with a hot link so that you can don't have to even you know type it in if you want to save some time um but the facts, faith, tra feeling train kind of goes like this. That the engine is the facts of God's word and the, the Christ's resurrection, the facts of the gospel. The second train, or the second, the, the coal car, is your feelings. 
I'm sorry, your, your faith, I'm sorry. And then the, then the caboose is your feelings. And basically, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ uses this in one of their pamphlets. He listed uh, three famous evangelical pastors, only one of whom I knew, that have given sermons on it. And he kind of said the problem with these little sayings is they're too ambivalent. And uh, so he gave some clarity to the truths and not truths of it. Because uh, the usual thing is, well, uh, you know, the, the train is running right whether you have the feelings or not. And he argues against that. And he's, uh, I don't know if you've read any of the controversy that he started on uh, the 96 thesis, but he's got a, some very good points that he's making on the 96 thesis. You should read on that. But um, what he's basically saying is, is that if you really have biblical faith, that the, the feelings of affections for God and of joy and of peace and of power will follow. So the teaching that it doesn't matter whether they follow or not, he's saying is incorrect. But he is saying it is correct that the facts of the gospel have to lead the train and the realities of God, but they have to be experiential realities. Christ has to really come into your life and empower you. And we think the baptism in the Spirit augments that tremendously. Now, um, as far as overcoming condemnation, many people deal with shame, false guilt, and, and uh, what I would call the overly introspective uh, uh, perspective. And we will probably have to just come back to this next week because um, I, I really don't want to cut this short. This, this is something that pe people really struggle with, this stuff. And, and you don't have to in Christ. You really don't. What you need to do is put all your confidence and your trust in him. A biblical Christian should be a very confident, assertive, well-directed, knowledgeable, uh, even opinionated with grace person. But, it, but the strength of it should be rooted in him and not at all in yourself. So we'll, since we're out of time, we'll take that up next week and we'll continue on this Charlie Brown syndrome uh, because God does not want you living under a lot of hurts and insecurities and self-doubt and uh, condemnation and shame and everything else. God actually wants to set you free from that. And uh, that starts with being rooted in the power of his resurrection. Amen.